Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. And also our friends in Arco, Idaho, we are so glad you're joining us. And the Hangar in Montana, and now Purpose Church in Rancho Cucamonga, we are so, so glad to have those with Rancho Cucamonga with us as well. We're so happy to have you and just blessed that you are part of our uh, church family as well, that we are part of your church family. And so we are so grateful for that. And so today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 27 as part of a series called Rooted in Purpose from Failure to Mission Accomplished. And the title of today's study is Storms. Job said in Job 5 verse 7, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Job says, as surely as when you stir a campfire, the sparks go up in the air. Just as sure as that, uh, we, we are born for trouble, and we will go through storms. Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Andromidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian for Thessalonica, was with us. Now, what we want to do is just put the map up there, enlarged from what you have in your study outline, and and let me just read the scripture and see if you can follow the trip. It starts there in the lower right-hand corner. They start in Jerusalem after the trials of Paul there. They go up to Caesarea, and now we pick it up in Sidon. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus. See Cyprus there, and the lee means the non-windward side. That is, uh, the, the island protects them from the wind, and so it's easier to go blocked, the, where the island blocks the wind to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, see, that's a province up there. That's an overall area. We landed at Myra in the province of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete. Now you go to the enlarged part of the map there in the upper right-hand corner, opposite Salmoni. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Now why do we experience storms in life? Now, it's important in the next few verses to know when the Jewish Day of Atonement was. It was usually in late September or early October, and it's mistaken there in your study outlines. It says December. It actually should read October. It's right there. It's correct there on the PowerPoint. This is one of those holidays like Easter that moves around. And You know how Easter can be anywhere from late March into middle of, or, or even late April? Well, in the same way, the Day of Atonement could move from late September to early October. So it's somewhere in that vicinity. The Romans had a saying about sailing on the Mediterranean during this time of year that if you left on your voyage after September 15th, your voyage was doubtful to be successful. After November 11th, it was downright suicidal. And so since they were leaving after the Jewish Day of Atonement, their voyage was somewhere between doubtful and suicidal. Now here's how we get into storms in life. And I want to apply this not only to us individually, but this first part I also want to apply to our nation. Because I believe that our nation is in a storm today. 
And I believe there are reasons why we are in this storm. And so we, we get into personal storms, but we also get into national storms. First of all, we listen to the wrong experts. Sometimes we get into a storm because we listen to the wrong experts. Verse 9, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Now, both of them had expertise. And the owner of the ship and the pilot probably had more sailing expertise than Paul did. Paul had experience of sailing in the Mediterranean, but they had the greater expertise. But here's what Paul had that they didn't have, a spiritual perspective. He had an eternal perspective, and that protected him from the blind spot of materialism that clouded the judgment of these so-called experts. Because they didn't have a spiritual perspective on the situation, all they could see is the payday, making the money at the end of this voyage. And it distorted their ability to see the need to protect the life of the people on board because they were so driven by the bottom line of what kind of money they would make if they got this voyage completed. And so here's the problem. I'm all for experts. I, I, I love education. I love degrees. I, I, I love expertise in certain areas. But I'm telling you, when you listen to experts who might be brilliant in their area of expertise but they do not have an eternal perspective, they can get you into storms. And better, a little less expertise with a spiritual perspective than great expertise, great intelligence, great education without the ability to see things from God's viewpoint. And we have gotten ourselves into a storm in our nation by listening to experts without a heavenly perspective on things. Experts like those that sit on the Supreme Court of the United States. Experts like those that uh, teach in some of our universities or those that influence our intellectual pursuits or those that uh, uh, guide us in certain areas without a moral compass and those in leadership uh, of our country that, that have expertise in certain areas, but they do not see things from God's perspective. And when we listen to the wrong experts, it will get us into a storm as it has gotten us into a storm in our nation. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Okay, sometimes we take a vote. We say, well, if the majority believes something is okay, it must be okay. If the majority says something is right, it must be right. Verse 12, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and to winter there. And I laugh about that. Even back then, they knew that Phoenix was a great place to spend the winter. A great, great golf courses there. It was just like a lot going on. This is a different Phoenix, by the way. They were hoping to reach Phoenix and to winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both the southwest and the northwest. And so another thing that gets us into storms, whether it's a nation or personally in our lives, is we we take a vote. We say if the majority believes something, then it, it must be right. Uh, William Bacchus has done a research study in which he claims that the average American tells 200 lies a day. 
I find that hard to believe. I mean, I'm sure he includes things like exaggeration. He includes um, slander. Whenever you pass on information about another person or a situation and you don't know that to be accurate, well, that's, that's the form of a lie. And I remember when I first heard this, it was on a, a teaching tape, and I heard uh, somebody quote this, and I was listening to it, and I said, ah, that can't be true. And then I paused it for a moment, and I had Bluetooth. It was all legal and everything. I called into the office to my assistant, uh, to Bev, and I said, uh, Bev, I'm going to be there in about, about five minutes. And then I hung up and, and went back to it, and I said, oh, man, that statistic can't be true. And then I'm like, wait a minute, Glenn. It's probably going to take you seven or eight minutes to get back to the office. You just said five. There's lie number one, 199 yet to go in the, in the day. And so he claims that we lie all the time. The research has shown that 13% of Americans believe it's okay to disobey all 10 commandments. of Americans believe it's okay to steal. 64% believe it's okay to lie. 53% believe it's okay to cheat. At Duke University, there were four sophomores taking organic chemistry. They did so well on all the quizzes, midterms, and labs that each had an A so far for the semester. These four friends were so confident that the weekend before finals, they decided to go up to the University of Virginia and party with some friends up there. They had a great time. However, however, after all the hearty parting, they slept all day Sunday and didn't make it back to Duke until early Monday morning. Rather than taking the final then, they decided to find their professor after the final and explain to him why they missed it. They explained that they had gone to UVA for the weekend with the plan to come to study, back to study, but unfortunately they had a flat tire on the way back, didn't have a spare, and couldn't get help for a long time. As a result, they missed the final. The professor thought it over and then agrees that they could make up the final the following day. The guys were elated and relieved. They studied that night and went in the next day at the time the professor had told them. He placed them in separate rooms and handed each of them a test booklet and told them to begin. They looked at the first problem worth five points. It was something simple about free radical formation. Cool, they thought at the same time. Each one in his own separate room. This is going to be easy Each finished the problem and then turned the page. On the second page was written, for 95 points, which tire was it that was flat? (laughs) So sometimes we listen to the wrong experts. Sometimes we take a vote. Here's the third thing we do. We rely on circumstances. Verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. Another translation, it says, they thought they had what they wanted. And oh, that verse describes America today. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Next page of your study outline. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. We listen to the wrong experts. We think if the majority is doing it or believing it, it must be true. We, we feel that circumstances are lining up. It can't be wrong when it just feels so right. You know, I was thinking about it this week. So much of the root of sin is impatience. So many times the, 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 the start of sin is impatience. We're impatient for something we want materially, and we're not willing to wait and to save and, and to work for that thing And so we steal or we go into excessive debt to get it because we're impatient. We don't want to study to prepare for that test, and so we cheat because we're impatient. We don't want to wait to enjoy sex. 
within the guidelines that God has given us within his word. And so we go outside of those guidelines. And we go prematurely before uh, those guidelines. Uh, we're impatient. And it leads us into a storm. Impatience leads us into a storm. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. The circumstances are lining up. Let's do it because we are impatient and we want it and we want it right now. How storms tend to affect our lives. Number one, storms cause us to drift. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Sometimes when we're in a storm, we just let go of all of our dreams and our goals and our values, and we're just driven along. We drift along with the storm. Number two, storms cause us to discard. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, sometimes this can be good. Sometimes in a storm, you get rid of secondary, temporary things, and you focus on what's really important in life. And so sometimes that can be beneficial. But sometimes we're tempted to throw out the very things that were valuable to us during better times. And sometimes we'll get in the middle of a storm and we'll throw away things that were so valuable when we could see more clearly. Boy, as a pastor, more than 30 years, I have seen time and time again people caught in the middle of a midlife crisis storm. In the middle of this midlife crisis, and they're going through this storm, and they can't see clearly, and it's dark, and it's stormy, and they, they lose their perspective, and sometimes they will throw overboard a precious 10 or 15 or 20 or 25-year marriage, and they'll toss it overboard. And then the storm, they get beyond the storm, and they look back afterwards, and with tears in their eyes, they realize they have thrown overboard something very precious. And sometimes there's time to recover that cargo, and sometimes there is not the opportunity to do that, and they realize their great loss. You see, in the middle of a midlife temptation, every person you marry is a combination of 10 strengths and 10 weaknesses. And what will happen in a midlife crisis is all of a sudden you forget about the 10 strengths of that marriage partner and the reason why you married them in the first place. And all of a sudden, all you can see is their 10 weaknesses compared to this 10 strengths of this person at work or this person you know. And, and you don't know their weaknesses because you don't know them all that well. But all you see is their strengths, which is what they present to you compared to the weaknesses that you are very aware of, of the person you've been married to for years. And all of a sudden, you throw that relationship overboard. You discard that cargo. And at the end of that storm, you come out the other side, and all of a sudden, you can see after a few years clearly the weaknesses of the new relationship. And you miss the strengths of the person that you were married to before. And you realize, I have thrown overboard something precious and valuable because I did it during a storm in which I could not see clearly. Number three, storms cause us to despair. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, 
we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And that's why I believe you're here today. I don't believe that you're here by accident studying this particular passage. I believe God invited you here because you have finally given up all hope of being saved. You say, I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this storm. I don't know if I can survive this storm. And it's not an accident that you're here at Pomona or you're at Rancho Cucamonga or you're at an Arco or you're in Montana at the hangar or you're watching online or you're joining us uh, later on for this message online. And, 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 uh, and, and, and it's not an accident because God invited you to this moment to say, here's what you can do. I want to give you some hope in the middle of your storm that you can survive this thing with my help. Paul does not drift. He does not discard. He does not despair. Instead, in the middle of the storm, he is calm. He is courageous. He is confident. How does he do that? It's because he's got the right anchor in his life. Uh, what to hold on to in a storm. In a few verses now, we're going to see in verse 29 that it says they dropped their anchors and prayed for daylight. And I believe God invited you to this moment to say these words to you. If you're in that storm, if you're in the middle of, maybe it's a small storm, maybe it's a big storm, drop your anchors and pray for daylight. Drop your anchors, pray for day, daylight. Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. You know, we know some of the early symbols of Christianity. We know about the cross, and people use the cross today as a symbol of being a follower of Christ. We know about the early ichthus. You'll see it on the bumper sticker of some of our cars with the fish that goes like this, and that was an early symbol of Christianity. But you know what may have been the earliest symbol of Christianity was the anchor. We believe that that may have been the earliest symbol of all, and it's so appropriate. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul Firm and secure. Character is made in the mundane, but it is revealed in a crisis. Three anchors. First anchor is God's presence. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Thank you, Captain Obvious. The next verse says, And they threw him overboard. Doth verily. Uh, yeah, threw, no, I, I don't believe he said it in kind of a I told you so kind of way. I think he told it with brokenness and tears in his eyes. Guys, you should have listened to me. And, and you could have avoided this loss within your life. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. And here's the thing. If you can avoid a storm, you will save yourself much damage and loss. But here's the good, the good news. These two words, but now. Maybe you're in a storm and it's nothing of your own making. Nothing of your own making. But maybe you're in a storm, I'm in a storm, because of my own poor decisions. But here's the good news. God will give you another shot. He'll, now, he won't give you infinite. You may run out of second chances. So don't just hold, you know, think you're just going to get chance after chance. But you're here this morning because God wants to say two words to you, but now, but now. You've got another shot at this thing. You can repent. We as a nation, in, in our country, in America, we have brought a storm on ourselves. But if we will hear these two words from God, but now, if we will repent, we will have lost some things that we threw overboard during the storm, but we will be saved, okay? So it's better to avoid storms altogether. 
That, that's the best thing. And that's why we love our children's ministry so much because children's ministries are so important because it protects our kids from making decisions during the storm. You know, many, many kids, um, they, they drift after high school and then they come back. And, and, and many of them, particularly in Bible-believing churches like ours, that many of them do come back. But the problem is they make very important decisions in the 20s when they're drifting. And in and, and, and that time and stormy young adult years, they throw some cargo overboard and then, yeah, they come back to Christ. But it's better to train them and do everything we can to disciple them so they won't have to face the storms to begin with. But once we do face those storms, the good news is there's a but now from God. He says you can repent. You can save yourself. You've lost some cargo. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Storms cannot hide the face of God. He is there in the middle of your storm. He may feel far away, but he still sees you even if you can't see him in the middle of your storm. I love Genesis chapter 16. If you're a single mom, God loves you so much. And I know you've got challenges, but understand God loves you so, so much. Do you know that it only took 16 chapters into the Bible before he wrote a chapter and gave us a chapter that tells him how much he loves single moms? God must really love single moms because he, 15 chapters, he can't take it anymore. He says, I gotta give them something that's a word of encouragement. And it's a chapter about a single mom by the name of Hagar. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. In the Hebrew, it's lo laharoi. Laharai, Roy, which means the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. We have this whole chapter in which God so gently and lovingly ministers to a single mom, and then she gives him the name. He's the God who sees me. Laharoi, a new name for God in your repertoire. He is the God who sees me. Even when I can't see him, he sees me. Storms cannot hide the face of God. Second anger, the anchor is God's purpose in our lives. I love this quote by John Wesley. I've used it before. He said, you are immortal until your work for God is done. You can't be killed until God's purpose and plan is fulfilled in your life. You are bulletproof. You are like an action hero in a movie. And you know how it is. Everybody's running from dinosaurs. And if you're, if you're a, a, a secondary character, you'll get eaten by the T-Rex and you will get devoured. But, but if you're the main character and you've got a love interest and you're the main guy or you're the main girl, you are bulletproof. The bullets will fly by you. If you're Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, you can't die. If you're a superhero, you, you can't die. You know if you're the main character and, and that writer of that story wants you to live, a lot of bad stuff will happen, but you are not going to die. And the same thing is true. If God has not finished writing your story, you are immortal until your work for God is done. And so God says to him in verse 24, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. That's my plan and purpose for your life, that you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Storms cannot change the plan of God. 
You guys know I go back to this passage a lot, but I just love the story of Jacob and Joseph. And, and what I love about it is as the reader of the story, you get to see things from God's perspective. And so from Jacob's perspective, everything's falling apart in his life. But you as the reader get to see things from God's perspective. And Jacob is in despair. He's in a storm. He's lost everything. And he's just, he's just so distraught. And yet you're reading the story saying, no, 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 Jacob, everything's breaking your way. You have no idea, but God is doing a, a marvelous thing. You just can't see it yet. And so in chapter 42, verse 36, their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. He's dead. He's not. Simeon is no more. He's dead. He's not. And now you want to take Benjamin. He won't die. Everything is against me. And maybe you're in the middle of a storm today. And you just say, everything's against me. This can't possibly turn out well. And then we go to chapter 45. And finally, Jacob sees things from God's perspective, the way we as the reader have seen them all along. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all of Egypt. Your son's not dead, and he's king of the world. Jacob was, what's the next word? You tell me. Stunned. And if you could in some small way, and that's what I'm just hoping to do with this teaching uh, today, uh, this evening, if you're in Montana, this morning, if you're elsewhere, this is just what I'm hoping to do is to just give you a glimpse of hope that if you could see what God is up to in the middle of your storm, you would be stunned. When we stand before Jesus one day and we see when he finally pulls all the pieces of our life together, we will be stunned. And I want to encourage you, be faithful in this storm. Don't toss things overboard. Don't give up your values. Don't make compromises. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your goals. Be, be faithful because someday you're going to stand in heaven and it's all going to make sense. And you're going to be so glad that you were faithful and that you hung in there in the middle of the storm. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive and I will go and see him before I die. And then the third anchor is God's promise. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Storms cannot destroy the child of God. And so with the anchor of his presence and God's purpose and his promise, now Paul faces the storm. Let's read the rest of the story. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. They're listening to Paul now, aren't they? Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. 
For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Oh, I wish I'd been on the boat that day. (laughs) I mean, it would have been scary for a while, but you know, Eh, to die with Fabio hair would be such a wonderful thing. That's not what he means. He means their lives going to be spared. He doesn't mean that they all died with full heads of hair. I don't think. I don't think maybe, but I don't think so. I think he meant they're just going to, um, you know, survive it. After this, he said, he took some bread. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat, and they were all encouraged. And you know what? Our oikos, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 people in our sphere of influence, they're not looking for us to pretend like we never go through storms. They, they, they know that we go through storms. Be honest. But what they're looking for is people that when they go through a storm, what the most powerful witness of your walk with Jesus is, is when you go through a storm, you don't despair, discard, and drift. But instead, you, you're courageous. You're confident uh, in the middle of that storm. That's what will draw them to Jesus within you. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on some other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Let's stand for our benediction. If you'd like prayer for anything, our prayer room is open right off the main floor here. We've got our prayer team and our prayer partners. And boy, if you're going through any storm, a physical health storm, a medical storm, uh, a financial storm, a relational storm, they would just love to pray with you to be an encouragement. Boy, I know our family went in there a couple of weeks ago and just got a wonderful answer to prayer. And so really, we've seen miracles come out of that room. And so just really encourage you, if there's anything you'd like prayer for, they would just love to pray with you. There's prayer in Spanish. So if you'd prefer to share your request in Spanish and then have them pray for you in Spanish, that's available there as well. So really encourage you to take advantage of that. Okay, receive God's blessing from Jude verses 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.